This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. This week's review will be on the Fear Street Trilogy event, which has debuted on Netflix over three weekends, which was really, really cool. Uh, Essentially, this review is going to be me reviewing each individual film rather than reviewing them all collectively because... They are all individual stories whilst being a part of a bigger trilogy. And I want to highlight that because tonally each episode or film uh, in this trilogy is quite different. And each film does present a, a, a different group of characters, um, which is important. So what I'll be doing here is I'll be giving you my thoughts on each individual film. And that way you can sort of hear what I think of each film too. So that's the idea behind this review, guys, or these reviews. So what I want to do here is I just really want to delve into each of the films. Uh, I will give mild spoiler warning as I'm going to talk about specific plot details. And I don't want it to be ruined for you guys because I actually had a really good time with this one. It's not perfect, uh, but it is something that I did thoroughly enjoy. So we have Fear Street 1994. Uh, which is part one. Part two is Fear Street 1978. And then Fear Street part three is 1666. Uh, And yeah, that's essentially where we're going here with these three reviews. So sit back, have a listen, and let me know your thoughts on this trilogy. I would love to see Netflix do more of this after watching the series in its entirety. I had a lot of fun with it. I thought each film does delve into its specific time period, paying homage to those specific uh, periods in horror in particular, which I found to be quite enjoyable. And I really did enjoy the way that it put it all together. So yeah, let's get stuck into this one, guys. So without further ado, take it away, trailer. What the hell? This is exactly why you have no friends. Look, some gal killed a bunch of people at the mall last night. Holy shit. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? Sarah Fear's back. Christ, not you two. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. We're together for one night and dead people are trying to kill us. Maybe we are doomed. She was so sexy, but so crazy. Normal bitches don't bleed black blood. I'm looking at you, witch nerd! You can't stop it. Ah! 
So, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, was directed by Lee Janayak and stars Kiana Madeira as Dina, Olivia Scott Walsh as Samantha Fraser, Benjamin Flores Jr. as Josh, Julia Renhold as Kate, and a brief appearance of by Maya Hawk as Heather. And the film, of course, is based on the R.L. Stein uh, series of books in the Goosebump series and follows a circle of teenage friends uh, who accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shadyside. So like I said, guys, this was very unique in the sense we haven't seen a trilogy event take place consecutive weeks, uh, one after the other, which I found to be quite, quite rewarding in the sense that I was anticipating each release, each Friday that they were released, and I thought that was really cool. It wasn't something we had seen before, and as a horror fan, I was really keen to see these books be brought to life. Now, this film in particular does delve into that 1990s feel. It does a really good job of balancing that tone. Uh, I like that style and that period. We haven't really seen a lot of um, homage and nostalgia for 1990s yet. It seems to be just solely the 1980s, and you can definitely see the Stranger Things, uh, I guess, nostalgia trip, even though that's in the 80s, carry over here. We have a lot of neon lighting. We have a lot of references, but they are subtle enough where it doesn't really detract from your overall viewing. I, I found the film to be quite well-balanced in that respect. I didn't find myself to be, you know, hating the fact that we were dealing with a film that took place in 1994. It seems to have fun with that time period, and it feels a lot like films from that time period. I can definitely see a Scream vibe to this film, a Scream probably being the biggest inspiration, uh, even down to the sound effects. There's a great sound effect of the knife stabbing into... Maya Hawk at the start, which is the exact same sound as what we heard in Scream. And I thought that was really cool to see that be brought over here. I also like the fact that the film takes place in that small suburban city. Now, I'm a fan of suburban horror. I mentioned that in my Fright Night review a couple of years ago, and even in Scream. I like when they take place in a small town, I guess, because I'm in a regional area. So I can sort of relate in a sense that I can feel, you know, those small town vibes in those sorts of films. So I really do enjoy that in a horror flick. And I think Legion Ike does a fantastic job here of balancing that. We have a really cool setting in Shadyside. And at the way it's brought to life, it just felt really, I guess, important to the overall story. Shadyside itself feels like a character, which is something that you can't really say for a lot of films. And I really enjoy when they bring the location and put such an emphasis on the location for these films. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I also really enjoyed the performances. I thought we had a really strong cast of characters here. Uh, Dina is our protagonist and she's played wonderfully um, by, uh, I always forget the actress's name, Kiana Madeira. Um, I haven't seen Kiana in uh, anything else outside of these series. I haven't really watched The Flash outside of the first season. So I'm a bit unfamiliar with her work, but I thought she was really good here. Uh, Olivia Scott Walsh as well. Uh, Walsh, sorry, um, as well. She's fantastic. Benjamin Flores Jr. I thought was great. Uh, and even their friend, uh, Fred Hitchinger, um, who plays Simon, who recently appeared in The Woman in the Window, which you guys know I didn't really like. I thought he was quite fun here. He's like the comic relief, but he sort of plays a big part in the story. And I, I like the relationship between our group of characters. 
Uh, Benjamin Flores Jr.'s character is Dina's uh, brother, um, and he forms a bit of a relationship with Julia Renwald's character, and I, I enjoyed their relationship. It felt a bit different. It wasn't something I was expecting, but it was sweet, and it, it gave you that overall uh, feeling of, you know, that, that these group of kids are really friends, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I wish Maya Hawke was in it more. I'm a big fan of hers, especially after her turn in uh, Stranger Things Season 3. Uh, she's only here at the start, and I think it's more of a cameo more than anything. Uh, and she's murdered by her boyfriend, who is possessed by the ancient evil. Um, I'll get into the ancient evil and what that threat is in a second. But essentially, yeah, she, she's a sort of cannon fodder at the start of the film. But I still enjoyed seeing her on screen, and I'm hoping that we get to see more of her. I mean, she's the daughter of two Hollywood icons in Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. So she's got acting in her blood. So I'd be really keen to see her in more projects because I think she's quite talented. I really do enjoy her. And yeah, it was cool to see her on screen here. That whole opening sequence as well, I found to be quite enjoyable. Maya Hawke um, essentially works as a, uh, she works at a bookstore. And I thought that to be quite entertaining. I really enjoyed that. It was something different. You know, we have the typical DVD store um, or blockbuster I was expecting maybe with it being set in the 1990s. But instead, yeah, she just works at a bookstore and I thought that was pretty cool. I liked the setting of the mall too. Those neon lights looked fantastic and that comes into play in the third installment as well. But I did really enjoy the way that that all looked. It all felt really authentic and it all felt real and I, I enjoyed that. I also really liked, uh, like I said, the aesthetic of the town itself. I thought that was quite impressive. And a lot of the set design, uh, there's a great sequence in the woods earlier on when Olivia Scott Welsh's character is in a car accident and that sort of propels the plot as she lands on essentially the burial ground of the witch. We think the witch is evil um, and the witch essentially is bringing back all the dead and the dead are attacking um, our, our heroes in our town and that's what's been happening over the past 300 years. Uh, and yeah, we, we have this bad taste of the actual town itself. And I thought that was really interesting. And I liked the way that they brought all of that to life. Uh, and like I said, the, the set design was really impressive too. A lot of it, I would say, was shot on locations like a real mall and things like that. But I really enjoyed the way that it all looked. The aesthetic of everything just felt very realistic. And it was refreshing to see actual sets and props rather than having, you know, those typical... Uh, CGI backdrops that we've seen so often lately and it was really nice to actually see real lived-in sets. I thought that was a lot of fun. I also really enjoyed um, the design of the killers themselves. We had uh, different killers that were obviously inspired by uh, other horror films. The biggest one, of course, being the bag-headed villain who resembles Jason from Friday the 13th Part 2. And I really did enjoy seeing those homages because they didn't feel like they were you know, overbearing and weren't important to the story. It's not a blatant ripoff. It's rather a uh, constructive, I guess, appreciation for the horror genre in general. And that's what this film does really feel like. It feels like a love letter to horror, especially from that time period. And I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I liked the, the villains themselves. Whilst they don't have any character to them, they've just got the characteristics of being violent killers I did enjoy all of that. I thought that was a lot of fun. I really liked the way that the characters were trying to solve the mystery as well. It was very Scooby-Doo-esque, and I'm a big fan of Scooby-Doo, so that was fun. And, and it, tonally as well, it reminded me of the recent film uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I thought was fantastic, if you remember my review. 
Uh, and it was really cool to see that tone sort of carried over. I like the idea of making these horror films for more of a teenage audience. Now, this film is a bit violent and maybe it's a bit too crude um, in certain aspects for a younger audience, but I, I do appreciate the fact that it feels like an entry-level horror film, and I do really like that because uh, it doesn't seem like there's enough of those um, in this day and age, which is a bit of a shame because I would have liked a film like this when I was growing up uh, just sort of to you know highlight the love and appreciation for the horror genre. Uh, and yeah, I, I just thought this was a thoroughly entertaining film. And I guess in the larger scope of this trilogy event, um, you'll hear exactly what happens in the story as I go through each of the films. But I just found that this film itself just to be a thoroughly entertaining time. It does have its uh, its problems. The films themselves, uh, especially this one, isn't scary. A lot of the humor plays off well, which I enjoy. But the scares themselves are pretty... It's far in, in between. There's there's not a lot of it. But if you're appreciating, I guess, the filmmaking technique and how a film's constructed and what a good-looking film does look like, then this is a great example of that because it is a really good-looking film. I, I love the way that the film looks. I love the way it plays. I love the cast. Everything felt very authentic, which I really enjoyed. And it's something that's refreshing, especially with a Netflix film. Now... I don't want to get into bagging Netflix out, but a lot of their, I guess, original content has felt like it was repurposed material for maybe a cinematic release or something along those lines. So I really did enjoy being able to watch this film um, and, I guess, see a film, see a vision. Uh, I, I thought that was really clever and it was really well handled. I also really appreciate... Um, the fact that there is a bit of inclusion here. So Dina and Sam's character are both uh, lesbians, which I thought was really interesting. We haven't seen that really in this type of film before, uh, uh, you know, a huge mainstream popcorn flick. And I, I thought that was quite impressive and really inclusive of Netflix. It's something that I wasn't really expecting. And it was something that I think Netflix will be rewarded for in the sense that they really don't go into too much detail about their relationship, but at the same time, they don't really need to. I think that they touch on it enough where it feels that it's important to the story. It doesn't feel like they're checking all the boxes for inclusion like a lot of these films do. It rather feels authentic again. I keep using that word, but it's true. It feels authentic to the characters and this lived-in world, which I did really appreciate. I also really liked the way that the film... Uh, concluded. It leads it open at the end as we see um, Olivia Scott Welsh's character, Sam. Uh, we think that the, the evil's all dead. So essentially what they try and do here is that they think that the only way to survive the issue um, and the scenario is to die, to then be revived. So they do that to Sam's character. They kill her uh, to then revive her with uh, adrenaline at the end of the film. And they think that solved all the issues. But then we see at the end that now Sam is possessed and now that Sam's possessed, um, yeah, they know that the issue isn't isn't over. So they contact Ziggy, uh, who's played by Gillian Jacobs, um, in the hope that Ziggy can provide insight as to what happened uh, in 1978 and how she survived. Uh, so they go through the motions there of trying to work out exactly what to do, and that's the lead-in for the next film. Um, I really liked that conclusion. I thought that it was a good lead-in because the story itself felt concluded enough where it feels like its own individual piece, but it has that intrigue to lead into a second film, which I also appreciate because then I'm anticipating the following week to watch a new film. So that's really cool, and I thought they handled it in a really respectful way, 
in a way that felt really authentic to the overall story and plot, which is a lot of fun. It's something that I guess is undervalued. Uh, and with trilogies in particular, trilogies are always such a hit and miss uh, topic. I, I guess the efficient use of a part one, part two, and part three, it can really be up for debate a lot of the time because sometimes it's used just to say, oh, this is part two because it's a sequel. Uh, the Hangover films are a classic example of that where you go back to like Back to the Future, part one and part two and part three, they are parts because they're parts of an overall story and Fear Street definitely fits that criteria because it is a part of an overall story. It's not an individual part or it's not just uh, slapping part two on it because it is the second film in a, in a proposed trilogy. The Hangover is the most frustrating uh, example of that, I guess, because each film doesn't continue on from the other. Yes, they have the same characters and chronology, uh, like I guess chronologically it does, but in the sense of telling a story, part two doesn't have to exist for part three to exist. Part three doesn't have to, you know what I mean? You, you could remove some of those parts for the overall story and it doesn't really affect it. So yeah, I, I think that in regards to that, they made the right decision to make it a trilogy. It could have been a TV show at the same time and I would love to see Legion Nyack handle more of these properties. Maybe she could adapt some other uh, films, uh, some of the other Goosebumps books into film and that would be really exciting because I think she's a really talented filmmaker. I was actually quite surprised with how good she is here. Uh, she directs a really good-looking film. Uh, she really understands the characters. She spends enough time with the characters too and she doesn't hold back on the gore. Now, I'm not a gore hound by any means, but I do enjoy seeing, you know, a kill in my horror films, and there's a brutal one here, um, and it involves one of the bread slices that you see at, like, Baker's Delight or any bakery, uh, and Kate's character, played by Julia Renhold, gets put through this thing, and it's absolutely brutal, and you see Josh, who's just formed a bit of a romantic bond with Kate there, and his reaction to it, it's just, like, gut-wrenching. You feel sorry for the kid. Uh, and yeah, it was quite brutal and one of the better kills I'd seen in recent memories. Uh, Simon's death wasn't as impressive. He gets taken down by an axe to the head. Nothing to ride home about, but at the same time, it was, um, I guess, necessary. You couldn't have each of the characters survive to take on part two because then it would feel like there's no real stakes. So we did have to have some of the characters die, but it was a bit sad because you see that their friendship group in general, they're all together, but the repercussions of their deaths didn't really seem to impact the overall story as much as what I would have thought it would have. I don't know. I thought their reactions were a bit, I don't know, not not as intense as what they probably would have been after they witnessed their best friends dying. I just thought it was a bit, yeah, it, it was a bit throwaway, which was a bit disappointing because, yeah, your best friend just died. You would be very sad and they don't really have time to grieve, which is a bit of a problem, I suppose, but... It's not something to really take you out of the movie. It's just something I noticed. But overall, guys, this is a really enjoyable part one of a trilogy. It's fun. It's exciting. It's energetic. It's stylistic. It's really well acted. And yeah, it's just an overall good time. So I would give Fear Street Part 1, 1994, a 7.5 out of 10. I really did enjoy this one, guys. It's not fantastic but it's still a solid first entry in a trilogy. And it has that intrigue, which is something that you look for in a trilogy event, because then you're looking for forward to parts two and three, which were coming Friday and Friday after, which is really cool. So I do appreciate this, guys, and I think that this is a really fun film, and I'm, I'm keen to see more of it. So look forward to my review of Fear Street Part 2, which is coming up right now. So let's take it away 
trailer. Hello? It's not over. You are our last chance. How do we end this? You have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp. Like blood. Do you have a better idea? Maybe. Who are you? Nick Good. Bad things always happen to shady siders. You feel it, don't you? There's something holding us down. Who's seen us? Run. One way or another, you're gonna die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary, it's a map. Letting you die. My sister's still out there. Go, go, go! We can end this. You, you swore it's becoming a habit. So Fear Street Part 2, 1978, was once again directed by Lee Janayak and stars Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, Ryan Simpkins, McCabe Sly and Gillian Jacobs, as well as the three returning cast members from Part 1, Kiana Madeira as Dina, Benjamin Forbes Jr. as Josh and Olivia Scott Walsh as Sam Fraser in her possessed state. And the film follows Shady Side, 1978, schools out for summer and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin, but when another shady sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes to a gruesome fight for survival. So like I said last week, I really enjoyed part one, and part two was going for that Friday the 13th vibe. So we pick up directly after the events of part one. Our characters are visiting Gillian Jacobs' character, who called them at the end of the first film. Uh, She plays um, Ziggy. And essentially, yeah, they, they get in contact with her and she recaps the events of what happened in 1978 at Camp Nightwing. So essentially they're at a, at a camp, her and her sister are there, so we see them as young, um, uh, the younger versions of themselves. So Sadie Sink plays young Gillian Jacobs and Emily Rudd plays uh, Cindy Berman. So they're two sisters, um, one of them is older than the other and they're sort of yeah, not really getting along. Their fathers left them, so we have that uh, dramatic turmoil there. Um, and then they come across. Uh, a, she's a what is she? She's a nurse, uh, and her daughter committed murders uh, previously as well. So possessed once again by the evil spirit that has Shady Side under its grasp, and essentially, yeah, murders a bunch of people. And then the nurse goes a little crazy um, and sees that the name of Tommy Slater, who's played by McCabe Slide, is written on the uh, the tombstone, similar to the first film, and they become the killer. So because his name is there, now he is the killer. Um, and essentially it turns into a big homage to Friday the 13th, but a, a really good one and one of the better camp-based horror films I've seen. Now, back in the 1980s, we had a fair few of them, the most popular, of course, being the Friday the 13th franchise. Outside of that, there's a great horror film called The Burning, very low budget, uh, featuring some special effects done by the great Tom Savini. Uh, and it's one of my favorites as well. I am a big fan of that one. 
I, I think that the genre itself needed something like this. I, I enjoy it because I guess we're not, again, dealing with that nostalgia of the 1980s. We've sort of branched a little away from there. We're dealing with the 1970s here, which is a bit of fun and it's a bit different. So it's something different to what we've previously seen, which I appreciate. And I think the film does a good job of not directly ripping off the films that have definitely inspired it, but rather paying that respect and homage in a way that it doesn't feel forced. It feels that it is contained and it definitely feels a part of this bigger universe, which I really appreciated. I also really liked the story itself. We have a generic slasher villain in Tommy. He doesn't really have any motivation to do what he's doing because he is possessed. And I think detracting that, that's probably my biggest flaw. I think it would be more interesting if these killers did have more of a motivation than that they're possessed. And I'm hoping that part three in 1666 is going to bring that all full circle. If the spirit that's possessing them has a motive that seems a little bit, you know, um, more specific to these characters, then maybe I'm going to be a bit more lenient on it. But as it stands at the moment, I'm a little annoyed because, yeah, it's a big detract from me because Tommy seems like he's a loving boyfriend um, to Cindy. They get along really well. He enjoys the camp. So when he does have this sharp turn, and I know he's possessed, but it just feels very lackluster. It doesn't really fit with the story and the characters that they're setting up, which is a little disappointing because... I really do like the setting. I like the characters and I like what they're doing with the story. It just feels like it is a little left field. And I do get a little frustrated in that regard because of that. However, the craftsmanship on display here from Legion Ike is quite impressive. I was saying to my partner, there's no real jump scares in this film. It's very contained and a lot of the scares are genuine when they do happen. And they're not, I guess, for me, they're not, typical scares and they're not particularly scary they are i guess surprising at certain points when certain characters do bite the dust you're sort of like oh crap i didn't really see that coming so that's interesting in a way but i didn't find that the film itself yeah it it sort of subverted my expectations in that regard because a lot of the scares did feel genuine they were pretty well crafted as well and i really like the setting of camp nightwing it's your typical american summer camp it there's nothing special going on but i just thought it was really well set out and i did appreciate that uh the cast are all really good too it made me appreciate sadie sink a little more now sadie sink of course plays maxine in stranger things and i found that she is quite good in those that show but she's sort of overshadowed because the rest of the cast is so impressive so in season two she kind of annoyed me she came into her own a little more in season three but i did find her to be a little annoying in the show here, she's a little older as well, but I found her character to be quite, um, I don't know, quite enjoyable. I, I found her to be really good in this uh, in this film, and I, I thought that she fit the story really well. I thought she does a really good job of keeping up to the standard of what these other actors are doing. Um, we have our typical douchey characters as well. So we have Will Good, um, played by Brandon Spink, who I thought was just a complete and utter asshole. Uh, he was yeah, just your typical camp counselor asshole like he, he just is that typical character i thought he was just yeah he, he was terrible um i also found that yeah michael provost was the same too both of them were just assholes and they did a good job at playing them but yeah i, I just found them to be really annoying when they're on screen uh drew sheed as well uh who was in halloween he has that brutal brutal kill where he's popped up on the gate post by michael myers um he is in this film as gary uh, it was enjoyable to see him too because I, I think he's quite funny. 
Um, and he adds that bit of levity to the story too. So I didn't mind him being there as well. Um, but I thought the cast were all really good here. Um, Ryan Simpkins as Alice was actually fantastic. She was probably my favorite uh, character out of the three. She's given a lot to do, um, and I thought that she was really surprising in the role. I haven't seen her in anything before. Uh, looking at her filmography, she was in Br uh, Brigsby Bear, which I haven't seen, A Single Man, which I haven't seen in years, and Revolutionary Road, which I'd imagine she would have been quite young in that film. But I thought that she was pretty good here. I, I really enjoyed seeing her. Emily Rudd as well was quite good. Uh, her filmography doesn't really have anything. She's been in an episode of Dynasty, um, and a few low-budget horror films, but she hasn't really done anything else. And I thought she was quite good, uh, too. She she held her own. Um, Gillian Jacobs has been doing this horror revival of her career lately. Of course, she's known for comedy with her performance in um, uh, Community, which I think she's fantastic in. But she's really good here, too. I thought that she was quite enjoyable, and I did enjoy seeing her on screen. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of hers. And she was previously in Come Play, which is an underrated horror flick that I watched recently, and she was really good in the film. Um, she doesn't have necessarily good acting chops as such. Branching out from that comedic performance, you know, in Community and, and those comedy roles that she's taken previously, she's not really, um, yeah, like I said, just a, a very good dramatic actress, but she is good in the role of playing that concerned sort of character, and I think she does hold her own... Uh, pretty well because she she isn't you know playing it dead serious she is having a bit of fun with the role and she's completely aware of the film that she's in um and her um rapport that she builds there with dina and josh i i thought they were really really good and i'm keen to see them go forward when they do solve this issue in part three which part three does look really cool i love the idea of it being set in 1666 that's completely left field and something I wasn't expecting. And from that little brief trailer we get at the end of part two, it looks like it could potentially be the best of the three. So I'm really excited to see that. All the actors are returning as well, playing characters within this 1666 setting. Uh, the film ends essentially with uh, the resolution of trying to get this hand now back uh, to the witch. But then when Dina goes to do that, she's transported back to 1666 as this character um, being accused of witchcraft. So I'm really keen to see part three. I think it could be something special. And I think Lee Janayek's done a really good job of establishing that as well. So I am really looking forward to it. Uh, but overall, I thought this was an entertaining film. I don't like it as much as part one. Um, and I, I think, but I, I, at the same time, I think that they are really good accompanying pieces to each other. Of course, it is a second chapter in a trilogy, so it really just depends. Uh, I, I think if I was going to recommend one of the two films to someone, I think people are going to get more enjoyment out of part two, and I think if you're going to watch it with a group of people, part two is going to be a lot more fun because it plays more like your typical horror film, so I found it to be quite enjoyable. Uh, like I said, there's those obvious inspirations from Friday the 13th, The Burning as well. But I did find that the film had a lot of fun with what it was doing. It, it doesn't take itself overly seriously. There's a lot of levity um, and moments of, I don't know, not, not straight comedy, but there are some comedic moments. I was like, oh, that's pretty fun. Oh, that's entertaining. So it's really good in that regard. I think that there is a lot to have fun with here. And I do think that if you're looking for something to watch at the moment, this is something really exciting. So... Yeah, I, I had a really good time with Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and I would recommend it. Of course, if you've watched the first one, then you're going to watch the second one because you want to know what happens next. 
But I found that part two was better than what I was expecting. I was a little worried watching that trailer. I thought, um, please don't go too over the top. But they don't. They, they sort of hold back enough where it is entertaining. Uh, the film isn't overly scary, and I suppose that's a criticism. I also think whilst the film has an amazing soundtrack, it overplays its soundtrack. There's too many 1970s rock songs, and you've heard my complaints about that before. I'm not opposed to just musical score. I think musical score can be really powerful. This film doesn't really have a lot of musical score, and when it does, it is quite generic. I found that the actual songs and the use of songs definitely detracts from the overall film, which is disappointing. But at the same time, it is a lot of fun to hear those songs. And I understand that people watching a film set in that time period are looking for those hallmarks. They're looking for those things, those references. So I don't know, maybe you could enjoy that. And if you do enjoy it, like I said with my Cruella review, it's definitely up to you and your way of taking, you know, the use of music like that in a film. But for me personally, it just doesn't really work as well. But I'm going to give Fear Street Part 2, 1978, a 7 out of 10. Same rating as I gave Part 1. I think that they're both really competent films. They're a lot of fun and they're really well shot. But I think the horror elements are executed in a way where it does play really well. And I found myself to be really enjoying myself watching the the film. I found it to be a really entertaining ride. And I'm looking forward to seeing the com- uh, conclusion to this trilogy. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So... Let's just get stuck into my review for part three. So take it away, trailer. We can end the curse. For Shady said. What the hell? You see it now. Sarah! The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows within each of us. Sarah Fear, you know nothing good comes from those woods after sundown. What was that? Witches! Witches! The truth will follow you forever. So Fear Street Part 3, 1666, was once again directed by Lee Janayak and stars pretty much everyone from the last uh, two films, or three, including this one. Keanu Madeira, Ashley Zuckerman, who plays um, Solomon Good as well as Nick Good, Gillian uh, Jacobs, Olivia Scott Welsh, uh, Elizabeth Scopel, Benjamin Forbes Jr., uh, Julia Renhold, uh, Matthew Zook, uh, Fred Hetchinger, everyone. Sadie Sink turns up as well, McCabe Sly. Uh, it's an all-star uh, affair, I guess, with all of the cast members from the previous two entries returning here for part three. Uh, and the film follows the origins of Sarah Fear's curse and finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of Shady Siders forever. 
So this is the third chapter in this trilogy, this Netflix event, um, something that I've found myself to be anticipating on a Friday night, and I'm kind of disappointed that it's over. I'm happy in the sense that I got to witness it, but at the same time, it was something I was enjoying, and I was looking forward to this third chapter. And I am pleased to say that I think that this third chapter is the best looking out of the three films. Now, each film has its own merit in the sense that it's very stylish. Uh, Legion Ike does a really good job of capturing the essence of the particular era that she is not only homaging, but also, I guess, um, paying respects to and the, I guess, the era that she's trying to capture in her films. Uh, and here... I found that 1666 felt like it was very much a part of that period, feeling like the modern uh, A24 films, uh, like The Witch in particular. I felt a lot of uh, style taken directly from that Robert Eggers film. And I thought that they did a really good job of really capturing the essence there of what that period of time is, you know, that pilgrim period of time. Uh, there in America and I just found it to be really interesting and I really liked the way that they incorporated the actors playing different characters or different versions of themselves through time and I thought that was really unique and it was taken you know I guess directly out of American Horror Story because we've seen that done numerous seasons now uh, but here I just found it to be really effective so essentially Kiana Madeira goes back to play Sarah um, Fear and I found her to be really really good here um, her capturing the essence of this character. And I guess because she's had to play, you know, Dina in the previous two films, it's cool to see her go and take on this character. And I thought that it was really fun uh, seeing, I guess, the essence of her reliving exactly what had happened in 1666. Uh, the big reveal, of course, being that Ashley Zuckerman is actually the bad guy. So the sheriff, Sheriff Nick, is actually the bad guy behind everything. It wasn't Sarah Fear. It's not a witch's curse. It's actually the curse of him. So essentially, he makes a deal with the devil to, I guess, um, benefit his family and his bloodline as each member of his family for generations to come will experience great wealth and, I guess, great um, success in life. And that was the whole deal there. So what happens essentially in 1666 is that we see that uh, Sarah Fear and uh, her lover, um, a played by Olivia Scott Welsh, who, of course, um, is playing Sam in the previous two films. But uh, here she plays Hannah, and her and Hannah have a bit of a love affair, which is taboo, especially back in 1666. And, yeah, they're essentially blamed for witchcraft, and Sarah takes the fall, um, and that leads to... I guess Solomon being able to live for generations now living in Nick and yeah, they've just continued to make sacrifices every, I think it, I can't remember the actual year. I think it's like every seventh year or something that they do this. And during that time, you know, countless people have died and it's just become a whole affair and it's been, yeah, just really interesting. I like the reveal. I wasn't expecting it. So I found it to be really good. Uh, a real, Big thing to mention here is how good the performances are. I think all the cast here are fantastic. They're doing their best Pilgrim accents, and I think they actually do a fantastic job. Uh, hats off to Ashley Zuckerman, who I actually thought stole a lot of the scenes that he was in. Um, I think Kiana Madeira is really, really good here too, but I just thought that Ashley Zuckerman really stole the show, um, especially in the scenes set in 1666. So... 
Uh, quick shout to that uh, part three, 1666, takes place for about the first hour. Then we get 1994 part two uh, for the remainder of the film, which they didn't tell us. Uh, but, of course, if you've watched the previous two instalments, you knew that it was coming to some form of a conclusion. And, yeah, I thought that they handled that aspect really well, too. I like the balance between the two. I thought there was enough of a story for that 1666 to run its course at around an hour. And I thought that there wasn't much else to tell. So I liked the way that they handled it. It really didn't delve too much into the supernatural either. It was more of a mystery and sort of dealing with that idea of what it was like during that time. And I thought that was pretty fun. Um, I liked the idea that we didn't have to deal with the supernatural. We could have a bit of fun with the actual setting and what's going on. And I thought that was really cool to see. I also really liked uh, just the aesthetic of the way that it was filmed. Um, Lee Janiak, who's been probably the star of this whole entire Netflix event, uh, her direction is fantastic, and I thought she did a really good job here of capturing, um, yeah, just that aesthetic of that time period. She does a lot of handheld work here, which is interesting, but it's a technique that I think works really well. There's some really good shots early on where we're just sort of capturing the exterior using, like, natural lighting and that sort of thing, and the shots are sort of taken from about, I'd say, shoulder height, uh, and we, we're just sort of following around at that shoulder height, sort of setting up these really cool sets that they've built for this time period. And I just thought it was a really unique take, and I really liked the way that she did that. Um, and I thought that this really allowed her to explore her filmmaking prowess because she's proven herself to be a talent with the previous two entries. But those two previous entries are very much like stooped and drenched in nostalgia. They're not necessarily um i guess anything unique and anything different it's something we have seen before but that's not necessarily a bad thing i just think that here she's able to create her own identity like i said there's definitely influences from like the witch being the most obvious one but at the same time she creates her own identity in each of these films whilst paying homage to classics such as friday the 13th um, which is a fun fact I didn't mention, that the camp in the previous instalment was actually the camp from Jason Lives, the exact same one. So that's really cool. I just thought they did a really good job of just capturing that essence and time period, and I think that all comes down to Legion Nyack. I think she does a really good job here, and she does a really good job with her cast. This isn't a star-studded affair. It is a star-studded affair in the sense that we've seen these characters, these actors playing these characters before, but in the sense of the scope of Hollywood, a lot of these actors are relatively unknown. Uh, yes, we've seen Gillian Jacobs in things before. She's probably the biggest name in the cast. Sadie Sink as well. But I, I don't know a lot of these actors, and I think they all do a really good job. Um, and I, I think I would, I would really like to see them do more work, uh, especially in the horror genre. I thought that they actually all proved themselves in this genre. And I would really like to see them all again. I thought they were all fantastic. And I had a really good time exploring these characters and just seeing these characters brought to life by a group of really talented young actors. So, yeah, I, I thought that the casting was on point across all three chapters. But in particular here, I think they really get to flex their acting muscles. Like I said, they're all doing these old-timey pilgrim accents. And I thought they all did a really good job in that aspect. They were all fantastic. I also really like the way that the film sort of concluded everything too. The conclusion, essentially, they take it to uh, the Shady Side Mall again and they've got this big plan 
where they've loaded uh, these uh, guns or these, um, what are they, water pistols with uh, the magic blood. And essentially they're trying to lure all the killers there because they know that the killers are all going to be chasing this blood. We've established that previously. So now what they're doing is they're trying to lure them all there so they can, you know, capture them all. And I thought that was pretty fun. Um, Daryl Britt Gibson plays Martin, who we were introduced to in uh, part one. And he returns here as a bit of a... He's a bit of a hood rat, but I really enjoyed him. Uh, I thought he was really energetic, and I really liked the charisma that he brought uh, to his character. And I, I thought he was a really good presence on, on screen. And I think he really added to the the group of heroes we had here. Um, and yeah, he sort of brings that bit of levity to the situation, providing a few of those laughs along the way. And I thought he was really good. Uh, his chemistry that he had with Benjamin Flores uh, Jr., uh, who plays Josh. I thought their relationship was quite sweet too and I, I kept thinking to myself, I would really like to see these two again because they're really good on screen together uh, and there is a tease after the credits with someone stealing the book that started it all after everything wraps up because essentially Nick ends up being killed um, by a group of heroes and everything seems to be restored. Order is restored in Shadyside but someone does steal the book after the credits so what's going to happen there? Well, only time will tell. But I did really enjoy myself watching this film. I think that it's probably my favourite out of the three, actually. Uh, I, I do enjoy the previous two instalments, and I can see myself probably watching part two, like I said in the last um, review I did of part two. I could see myself watching that one probably more frequently. But at the same time, I think that all three of them lend themselves to a really entertaining trilogy. So you could pick up parts one, two, and three and just watch them on a night. I think it would be a really good movie marathon because each film has this really strong presence. And I, like I said, it comes back down to that direction. Legion Ike is a revelation. She's probably the biggest star to come out of this uh, series. And I'm really keen to see what happens there and what Netflix decide to do now if they do more of this. I, I think that these have been quite successful. I've seen a, a lot of buzz online after uh, these films. So I'm sure that they have been a success for Netflix. And if they have... Will they continue to adapt some of R.L. Stein's works into, you know, future, uh, I guess, trilogy events like this? Because, like I said, I was anticipating each event as it came forward. I knew that part one was coming out, and then I was like, hang on, part two and part three are coming out week after. There you go. That's quite fun. And it just, yeah, adds that anticipation. And anticipation that I haven't felt towards a lot of projects lately um, like, you know, even things like Black Widow, something that I would normally anticipate, it's sort of come and gone and it hasn't really had that impact on me that, you know, sometimes these releases do. And I don't know if that's a bit of fatigue from the blockbuster genre, considering we have had a bit of time off now with a lot of blockbusters being pushed back. But I did have anticipation for each of these Fear Street films and I think it was just the general intrigue to see what happened with the plot and I, I think that's really cool because, like I said, I, I love film. I, I love watching film. And it's fun to be excited about something again in relation to film because a lot of the time you're let down with anticipation and that's something that I try and keep away from. A lot of trailers these days as well aren't what I, I guess, expect from trailers. They, they do reveal too much. They don't have that same essence as they did about 10 years ago, which is a bit of a shame. But at the same time, if a trailer does capture my eye, then 
it leads to that anticipation if you advertise it right. And the the films here did a really good job of keeping my intrigue without revealing too much. I had no idea what I was going to expect coming into each of these films. And what I ended up feeling was something that I didn't expect I would. And I, I found myself to be really enjoying each of these films. And like I said, would recommend them to everyone. I, I, I think that even if you're not a massive horror fan, they're a really good story. And they do have a few scares here and there, but overall it's a fun story. Uh, great actors, and I really liked the setting of each film. I, I just thought it was a really, really good time, and I really had a fun time watching them. I, I think overall it ended up being, yeah, like I said, something I wasn't expecting, and that, that's what I like. I like when I see something exciting that I wasn't expecting, and that's exactly what I got here. Um, but yeah, guys, I, I, I think, like I said, this is my favorite one. So I'm going to give this one an 8.5 uh, out of 10. And overall, I'm going to give the trilogy event itself an 8 out of 10. Now that could increase with repeat viewings. I'm not entirely sure, but I did have a really fun time watching each of these films. And I think even if you're not, I guess, a big horror buff, there is still something that you're going to be able to get out of each of these films. And yeah, I just had a really good time. So Definitely check out these films, guys. They're all streaming on Netflix now. And now that it's wrapped up, you can watch each part back to back. And that's the way I would recommend watching them. And yeah, I, I had a really good time with these ones, guys. So make sure that you check them out. And if you do, let me know what you think. That brings this trilogy event uh, series of reviews to a conclusion. So thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for more content coming at you very shortly. Make sure that you like me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, send any questions or any film recommendations you have to ozmoviegeek at gmail.com. That's ozmoviegeek at gmail.com. Make sure as well that you go and rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcasting platform you're using. It really does help me out, guys, when you do that. And, yeah, thank you all for listening. And until next time, peace out. Peace <laughs> out.